0: Hello and welcome back to All My Darlings, where we are reading Marguerite Young's Angel in the Forest. We are going to finish up part two of the chapter New Harmony, The Golden Rose, on page 218. One second. Oh, it's hot and muggy and about to rain but still it's summer so it's nice francis wright a link between the Rappites and the Owenites, a friend of both frederick Rapp and robert dale wished to combine the virtues of these two orders and ashoba for the freeing of negro slaves bentham's ward the friend of shelley the friend of lafayette francis had been educated a rebel who fit into no domestic map or moral sphere her only goal in infinite progress Fortunately, she was rich, and able to arise above even that circumstance, and the circumstance of being a lady by birth. She had, Robert Dale recalled, years after their estrangement over financial matters, various personal advantages, a tall, commanding figure, somewhat slender and graceful, though the shoulders were a little bit too high, a face the outline of which in profile, though delicately chiseled, was masculine rather than feminine, like that of an antinous, or perhaps more nearly to define a mercury, the forehead broad but not high, the short chestnut hair curly naturally all over a classic head, the large blue eyes not soft but clear and earnest. At the time of her coming to New Harmony, he could not have guessed her later development, those peculiarities of character which caused her downfall, the courage untempered by prudence, the philanthropy untempered by common sense. The enthusiasm untempered by sound judgment, and in the inordinate estimate of her own mental powers, the obstinate adherence to opinion once adopted. She was known largely as the author of a small book entitled A Few Days in Athens, and of a diary recording her travels in the American wilderness. Though she was already what she would always be, a fighter, Mercury was restless, a spirit which could never be bound burned almost as black as a negro from having ridden horseback under the burning sun and suffering from ague as a result of sleeping on the cold ground with no roof but the stars above her mercury like a slave pursued carried everywhere the glad tidings of freedom and racial sexual political economic equality francis or mercury was lonely at new harmony she hoped to find if possible a few kindred spirits who should join her at neshoba where each was to occupy a small brick house with the piazza and each was to write poems and essays for the advancement of the human race the negroes meanwhile would render such services to themselves and to the few kindred spirits as would pay Frances a return on her investment, with which she would then buy other slaves at the auction block these to be run and turned through the sieve at neshoba until such time when all members of the black race should have attained their freedom slaves once freed and the amount of their passage having been included in the price of their freedom would be transported to another country It was a long-time program. Frances hoped, however, that southern planters, inspired by her example, would set up other neshobas far and wide so that the Negro might remain in America as the equal of his white brother. If not, there was always what she had in mind, Haiti, where, but a few years previous to neshoba, a shipload of 700 starved dogs had been disembarked for the express purpose of devouring Negroes, who had multiplied beyond the means of their subsistence. Frances was never to reach her ultimate goal, though as Madame de d'Aurusmon, she was to establish, at Regal Haiti, a community of sleek Negroes, wafting purple fans above her by a purple sea. For her idea of utopia would always be the few kindred spirits at the top, the masses at the bottom, a Greek city-state. a New Harmony, Frances blazed the trail, not only for Negro freedom, but also for that of woman the minerva society made up of many wingless creatures met in a rapite celibate dormitory where francis determined to break up the time-hardened soil of conservatism in this field urged as woman's life was then so short in comparison with man's the practice of birth control that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of regret Josiah Warren was a gentleman just full of Yankee ingenuity, wit, optimism, and golden ages. He was one person who, retiring from New Harmony, would never do so as a pessimist. Utopias would drop from him forever after, like cards from a magician's sleeve. Roll old along with me, paradises would flourish in his head, like rabbits under a magician's hat. He was to produce, in fact, more and better societies than all the other society builders combined could think of. His preparation for these, a few years in New Harmony, as a student of human nature and a self-taught education in the building of carriage wheels, he had sold his lamp factory at Cincinnati in order to join the New Harmony movement for the dissemination of light. As a manufacturer, he had designed a lamp using lard instead of oil, the former giving off both the cheaper and brighter light. Now in New Harmony, he watched casually the operation of Robert Owen's many-headed schemes, his conclusion being that the oil of altruism should be withdrawn, and the lard of egoism should be injected, simple change as that, with the result that the great wick, the science of society, would then light up the entire world. It was simply a question of substituting his own principles based on egoism for Robert Owen's principles based on altruism. And wouldn't Aladdin's lamp there would then be in this wilderness. What a flame! Other ambiguous characters on the streets of New Harmony, a long-bearded Irishman who believed himself a thing not seen and eternal, a philosophic non-resident who slept with a revolver under his pillow. A woman in a silk, in a black silk dress, with a Greek cross around her neck and a pair of inglorious diamond earrings. A skeptic wrapped in the cocoon of mysticism. A whiskey merchant or two. A terrestrial Elysianist. And a necessarian circumstantialist. Alas, among so many discrepant visionaries was not materialistic socialism doomed to an apparent failure, unless by some miracle all these could be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air? Joseph Neif, ex-priest, ex-lieutenant, of Napoleon, ex-schoolmaster, grappled with problems as great as the science of society. Neif, to put it broadly and boldly, without shame, without guise, was New Harmony's nursemaid. Question, how to throw the bath out without throwing out the baby? Question: How to fold a diaper in such a way as to ensure the greatest happiness to the greatest number? Question: How to spare the rod, and not spoil the child? Wherever he went, Neif was surrounded by children, as if he were a priest of another congregation, lieutenant of another army. There was neither the threat of hell nor a firing squad, but plenty of excitement. Otherwise, a little community within the community, a little republic within the republic what protection had neef against nature he admitted to the children that his government was that of the worst despot reflecting his will though disguised as a democracy but only because the members had not yet discovered the eternal laws of reason within their frames corporal rather how many noses had to be wiped and how many knees had to be bandaged life was a never-ending struggle of good and evil good with evil neef's constitution written while the sweat poured from his brow provided merely that his little republic should be apprised of what was coming next Regulations as to crime, punishment, police, laws, courts of justice, and other traditional matters. Just a second. He urged that the children should not imitate him and especially that they should not imitate his language. He had a most distressing habit which try as he would he could never cure himself of to burst into a wild volley of oaths as if he were still napoleon's lieutenant to call on the lord as if he were still a priest at the altar the little army retired from the weed-patch scarred torn and defeated unwilling to progress the battle further, farther he swore vociferously when the little congregation seemed about ready to stray from the beaten path he prayed to god whose high arm could reach where Nief's could not. As Neif was rarely seen without a squalling brat under each arm and a half a dozen others in his wake, perhaps his excesses were understandable, even the children agreed. Could the teacher of babes be a babe himself? The Duke of Saxe-Weimar, who, after the failure of the Greek struggle for freedom, had rejected the crown of Greece, was one of the great travelers in the American forest. He had passed many nights discoursing with friendly Indians in smoke-filled huts. He had associated on friendliest terms with men every walk of life and not a few walks of death lawyers cutthroats a man determined to leave no stone unturned he came in the course of his journeys to new harmony this so-called athens of the american wilderness while most appreciative of indians traders and other floating specimens the duke viewed new harmony as something less permanent than these from the duke's diary may be gathered several valuable tips on old new harmony if one uses his imagination to fill up the empty spaces first of all the Ewanite city was, of, was a something intangible, a merely proposed rectangular shape and not in evidence like the Rapite city. The, circumf- the cruciform-shaped church, far from being God's plan, had been Father Rapp's make-work plan, as idle hands might get into mischief naturally. Rumor persisted Father Rapp had castrated his son. Yet how not admire, however unwillingly, a man who had had the ability to impose his will on a large population— even to the extent of a contravenient and important law of man's nature. Two lightning rods were on the house of the man of God, Father Rapp had taken good care of himself. It grieved the Duke that such a good man as Robert Owen would expect to change the course of all governments, all nations, and all peoples. Larger project than Father Rapp's had ever been, and doomed to failure. Father Rapp's house, the only luxurious private dwelling, was now occupied, the Duke understood, by Mr. McClure, who had not lowered his standards of living through the simple fact of being in new harmony, as Robert Owen had living at six cents a day at the tavern mr mcclure's windows looked out on a back garden which contained a curious slab indeed down among the chicken coops in the midst of chicken feathers broken glass ashes and bird dung the footprints of an angel what a contrast between realities or were they one and the same and when would the beams of common sense light up the sky the duke gives hardly a portrait of mr mcclure that great mountain climber and enemy to the flowers of rhetoric sat placidly at the back window wrapped throughout the entire history of utopia and thoughts as to the meaning of a single greek word oida i know the perfect tense of the root id i see the greeks after all had a word for the science of society to be based on nothing beyond the apprehension of our senses mr mcclure had eyes evidently for little but the book in his hand Condillac's fiction of a marble statue to which the senses were added one by one in which sensuous perception comprises the entirety of the soul and from which of all this the idea of an objective world? There could be accordingly no possibility of a soul from which the senses are always absent. McClure accepted evidently this concept of being, rejecting the idea that a phantom, though it does not exist, is real because it is thought of, like freedom, will, or a realm of purposes. Imagination, like the wolf at the door, McClure believed, should be kept outside in the winter wind. An imaginary rectangle was as bad in its way as an imaginary New Jerusalem, since leading people to see what they did not see. Mr. Say, his hands covered with blisters by his work in the potato field south of the back garden, was ridiculous-looking, but at least contributed his share of labor, according to the Duke. A correct thinker was bound to be incorrect, the Duke observed. All in all, Oh, I'm sweating in here, and... God, I don't want to put the fan on me, because I know it's going to blow into the microphone. <sighs> okay all in all new harmony due to its circumstance in a melancholy land already denuded of many trees and scarred by the effects of rapid industries was not a place for paradise unless considered as a place for those human beings who losing their senses one by one become marble statues high up on indian mound the duke discovered there had lived an ancient hermit a man with an obdurate capacity to resist two utopias only the death of his horse had driven him to town he had fought for greek freedom and that battle lost had lived for many years in a cave on Indian mound with no company but a horse, the noblest animal with whom he had shared his bed, his board, and his Athenian visions. The farther he got from mankind, the better he felt. He seemed to be suffering, the duke concluded from some kind of religious madness. This ancient hermit was not the only crazy one. New Harmony seemed about to scatter the four winds. In fact, I can hardly believe that this society will have a long duration— Enthusiasm, which soon abandons its subject, as well as the itch for novelty, contribute, contributed in much to its formation as to its disillusion. Some of the most turbulent, with an Irishman who wore a long beard, sat under the rapite sundial, planning a community for alcoholics to be located in the cold mountains of Mexico, where, however, they would be unable to procure even the ghost of a living, the Duke believed. Mr. James of Philadelphia, a disfrocked clergyman, yearned for nothingness so much as to wear his collar backward once again, and represent the Lord, in whom all things move. The elegant Madame Fratella of, of Moscow had been married for three days, when her husband perished most mysteriously, and for some reason had come to attach herself, like a bride, to Robert Owen's science of society, but still mourned the loss of her first love, and confessed that she had been egregiously deceived in her expectations— as the community was too low and the table so bad as to be beyond criticism, the good lady appeared to be about to run from one extreme to another, for she added that in the summer she would in the summer she would go to a shaker establishment in Vincennes. Charming young girl, Miss Virginia, had been interrupted in the midst of her piano playing by a brute laborer who had demanded that she go take her turn at milking the community cows. Music being no work, according to present standards of values, but a mere diversion. Miss Virginia, weeping, had retired from the room poor darling who deserved protection. Madame F., perhaps because of just such occurrences, had gathered the young girls of the better class around her, and there they were sheltered like chicks under the wings of an old hen. Indeed, more seemed to have been lowered than raised by this community. A German patriot named Schmidt, who had been a first lieutenant of Prussian artillery in Erfurt, and who had deserted to escape execution, confessed that, in this fatal community— his fine vision of freedom was very much lowered indeed he had expected to serve as robert owen's butler which position would have been honourable but had been placed immediately upon his arrival in new harmony in charge of cattle stalls as butler to cattle which position he felt to be most dishonourable what a caliban was he to this prospero smell of manure he complained was always in his clothes was robert owen so infatuated with the idea of mankind the duke wondered that he had forgotten sleeping workmen deceived aristocrats and other disgruntled specimens who comprised it evidently not know thyself was ever the first rule of this community the plates of human character the duke saw was intended to facilitate the business of self-knowledge as by these each person could be shown from day to day his capacities and their development with the least possible waste of time the plates bore the superscription scale of human faculties and qualities of birth They were marked with ten scales, labeled self-attachment, affections, judgment, imagination, memory, reflection, perception, excitability, courage, and strength. Each scale was divided into a hundred parts, marked from five to five, with a slide that could be moved up and down to show the measure of the qualities therein specified which the measurer possessed or believed himself to possess what clever machine of which all the parts could be known and studied! Alas, but the sleeping workman might find that he was not deficient in courage and strength, though woefully lacking imagination and memory. One such fellow, with his hat drawn over his eyes, empty bottle at his side, seemed, so far as the duke could judge, never to have moved from his position in the grass in front of an unfinished building during the entire length of his stay in New Harmony. Or Madame F., the egregiously deceived, might find that she was free from self-attachment and excitability. Or miss virginia might need strength which fact should have been evident to anyone in his senses the old french wine dresser oh vine dresser complained to the duke that the germans had been makers of bitter wine to judge by the sample they had left behind the duke far from being convinced of the inferiority of their manufactures, determined to visit on his way out of america rapid economy where he felt sure the fare would be better than Owen-eyed wild turkey and bread-like bullets. Without regret, he said goodbye forever to rationalism and its romantic vision of life in a green forest. No great good, he was convinced, would could come from Robert Owen's science of society, so long as it tended to surrender reality for the sake of a few cloudy am- aphorisms, a few wild theories." There was last but not least among New Harmony's citizens Old Greenwood, a seeker after happiness, who might have been, however, more at home among the rapite candidates for heaven than among the Omanites. New Harmony experienced during its second summer almost a deluge, such as would inspire the imagination to believe that the world might be destroyed by flood again. The Wabash champed... I would say chomped, but that's not what it... Champed? Champed like a lion in its cage. I'm not sure. Okay. During one of frequent thunderstorms, when the whole sky was illuminated by a green light, Robert Dale looked out of the window, expecting nothing but a scene of desolation and the usual fool of nature. What did he behold but a vision, most strange, most mysterious? Old Greenwood, thoroughly drenched, was parading up and down, up and down, like a sentinel, upon the rain veiled streets, and obviously going nowhere in particular. He carried upright, as a soldier carries a musket, a slender iron rod, ten or twelve feet long. But where was the war? Over his head, the lightning scrawled zigzags on the sky, and all around him trees fell. Yet he was perfectly calm, perfectly self-possessed, at ease with nature. Arbordale was puzzled by this display of exaggerated eccentricities. Perhaps old Greenwood had lost his power of reason, that was why he did not have enough sense to come in out of the rain. Yet there was something even more compelling than a lack of sense, as if Old Greenwood had determined on this strange course of action from some perfectly good reason. Later Robert Dale questioned Old Greenwood. Why had he not stayed indoors? Why had he walked in the awful floods? Old Greenwood was by this time as dry as dust in a chimney corner and as melancholy as a bat under the eaves. "'Ah, well, young friend,' he said, "'I am very old. I am not well. I suffer much.' and I thought it might be a chance to slip off and be laid quietly in the corner of the orchard. He had simply not wished to take the responsibility of destroying himself, so had prayed that God would strike him dead. God, who had struck the rapite house and the young colt and the trees of the green orchard, might also have spared a final blow for him. God had only seen fit to do it, he concluded. I'd have been at rest this very minute, all my pains gone, no more trouble to anyone and no more burden to myself." Only death could now translate him to a better state than New Harmony, a city whose gates are pearls as big as goose eggs, and where the old do not grow older, and where the lion lies down to sleep with the lamb. Alrighty, thank you for listening.